Chase Waters, 36 seconds into the overtime. Right. Oh, let's go. Tristan Robbins bangs away at it second time. Slows it behind for Taylor. It's in the net. Blades Uncut. All right, episode 17 of Blades Uncut has officially arrived. I'm joined, of course, by the one and only Les Lazarick. My name is Mitch Bach, the communications manager, and 17 episodes in? Mm-hmm. How have we made it this far? We've made it Wendell Clark in. Yeah. Or Frank Bannum in. Or start, others who have worn number 17. We could start putting numbers next to every episode. Absolutely. It's just a jersey number. That's right. How about number 18? Ooh. Uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot or anything. Yeah, here, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who from the present team is 18? Isn't that Alex Morozov? No. That's, he's 20. Oh, he's 20. That's so right. He'll too. be coming up here soon. Yeah. 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 Might have to get Alex Morozov. Oh. Might have to get. He's a local boy. Well, I'll have to get some, some of the current players and maybe even some of the current coaches, uh, mm-hmm. because we are getting closer to that magical date of January the 8th. Ooh, yes, start we are. looking ahead to the start of the regular season. Hard not to get excited over that. I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm a little anxious because of what's going on in the province of Manitoba with COVID mm-hmm. and what's going on in this province with COVID. But I am hoping that there is still time. Uh, I know all every team has their plans before the respective governments. It's just a matter of those governments saying yay, and I'm hoping they will say yay so we can get started. Yeah. Well, like I've mentioned before a couple of times on this podcast, yep. progress is being made. It's yes. positive. We are working with Sask Health Authorities yep. as well as the Sask Health Centre. We presented different seating options. It's just like you say, Les, getting that green check check mark for us to go January 8th. This is not a tentative start date. No. I can't stress that enough. This is a start date. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. It's just a matter of what it will look like. That's right. Okay. Okay. Father Winter has arrived. (laughs) So it definitely looks like the hockey season outside. Yeah. And we're not playing. Yeah. There are a lot of minor hockey teams playing. And of course, the SJA just recently started off too. But uh, quite the snowfall. Oh. You were going through a little bit of a catastrophe from the sounds of it just snowed in at your place well at our place we're up in the uh northeast of saskatoon so uh, apparently that area may have gotten hit hardest of any area in saskatoon as far as the accumulations and certainly mm-hmm. uh when you start getting snow removal for the city and i'm not going to bash them those there's enough people yeah. on various different platforms social media and on our radio stations who have decided to do that and given the city heck for their mm-hmm. inability to get things going i will say this much it's not easy and it's you, you have to put prioritizations on things and you've tried to make sure that your main thoroughfares are going then your feeders then you get to the residentials uh the residentials it would be nice if they can get to us though so we can get our vehicles out we finally got uh our parking lot at our <laughs> condo complex cleared al- enough that you can actually move around it. The problem is getting onto the residential street mm-hmm. and then getting into a situation where you get stuck. If you don't have snow tires, if you don't have all-wheel yeah. drive, better yet, four-wheel drive, um, I haven't missed work. I've been able to get back and forth thanks to our engineer on Monday and then a station vehicle that I was able to utilize because we had enough snow in this parking lot here that needed to be cleared. So I was able to use that in order to get back and forth. Mm -hmm. So I'm fine in that respect as far as getting to and from work. But my vehicle, my own vehicle. That's a Toyota? No, it's a Kia. A Kia. SUV. It has not moved out of the garage since Sunday. Okay. So it's it's where it is is where it's still at and 
Yeah. Hopefully it gets out uh, before this weekend. Well, yeah, I know. You've been making it into the station. Yep, utilizing the station vehicle, yes. like you've been saying. You're and obviously you? here. Me? Yeah. It has been a complete godsend having this new SUV. Aha. Uh-huh. Absolutely. No, uh, it's been, I've tried to envision in my mind what it would have been like just driving around the Fresca. And this, again, is <laughs> not me trying to sell the Fresca. But it's not happening. Oh. Not with the road no. conditions like it is right now. Uh, <laughs> but, um, no, I haven't had any issues. Uh, luckily, I've uh, our parking lot, I believe, is getting plowed tomorrow, mm-hmm. and my apartment complex sits right on the corner of, don't quote me on this, it's on Lenore Drive and uh, one of the other feeder residential roads. I can't even think of the name of it, but uh, because it's on a corner, we have two entrances into the parking lot okay. uh, for my apartment complex, and the snow is somewhat in a bit of a vortex, especially when the wind is blowing, you get snow drifts, and yeah. I left... Uh, to run a couple of errands just at the Lawson Heights Mall. Uh, for I was only gone for about a half hour or so, and there were two vehicles parked on either side of my parking spot in my apartment complex, and those two vehicles acted like almost a cyclone effect for the snow that was wisping to a, get accumulated to the point where it's I've now got like about an eight-foot snow bank sitting in my parking stall. Mm-hmm. So as powerful of an SUV as this might be, and sure, I've got all-wheel drive, I've got winter tires, there's not a chance that I'm going to be parking in this little area where there's nothing but snow. So I spent a decent amount of time just, you know, shoveling that out, shoveled off my balcony because the balcony is arguably, that's another vortex-type situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's been it's been crazy. A lot of people have been stuck, and, you know, I've, I'm kind of lucky enough to... Uh, have the ability to help out a lot of people and uh, live in a fairly friendly apartment complex too. So um, nothing wrong with getting, uh, you know, greasing up your elbows a little bit and I was helping say, out some people. You're, you've become a shovel master. You're yeah, helping out so many people. I may have uh, picked up a part-time job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shoveling is, I guess, my forte and um, our apartment complex has... A demograph that is over the average age of the population, so I'm kind of okay. a resort. You could say that mm-hmm. in some instances I could be an essential service, So, but I don't mind helping out some people and making sure that everyone is safe and sound. So your cardiovascular is good, mm-hmm. and in order to keep yourself sustenance, you could always go over to VP Restaurant and Bar and get yourself something to eat and or drink in order to maintain your strength, in order to be that <laughs> shovel master that you've become. Of course, BP Restaurant and Bar, uh, one of our sponsors of the Blades Uncut podcast, located at 1403 Idlewild Drive, and they are open despite what has gone on with the snow problems. That's right. Now, we've got a big episode in store. Yes. We've got Clark Wilm, a career blade, coming on in a moment. We just mm-hmm. chatted with him earlier this morning. Now, we are recording this Thursday morning, so I've oh, got yeah. a little bit of an afternoon ahead of me trying to edit this you're all together. You're going to be a busy sure guy. Good, I know. Uh, but if you're listening to this, that means everything went successful with the editing process. So, <laughs> so we're good on that end. But we will uh, obviously speak with Clark. Tyler Wark, the Director of Business business Operations with the Saskatoon Blades, also coming on board just to chat a little bit more about an announcement that we had earlier this week on Monday, the Hockey Harvest Lottery. You can take advantage next Monday and purchase a ticket. You'll have all the ins and outs to do with that. Some, and of course, a trivia question. We got a trivia question coming up. Yes, we do. Here momentarily. Yep. But I've already, I just talked about it. Why not get him on the phone? Yes, let's get him on. All right, so let's get to it. The uh, Director of Business Operations, Tyler Warwick, joining us on the phone to talk a little bit more about the Hockey Harvest Lottery announced earlier this week on Monday. It opens up next Monday where fans can 
officially purchased tickets. Tyler, tell me a little bit more about the Hockey Harvest Lottery. Yeah, uh, this is the really unique uh, initiative, I guess, something that you know we've, we haven't taken part of in the past or, or anybody in our league for that matter. Um, so uh, the the premise of it is the five teams that are based in the in Saskatchewan in the Western Hockey League, being the Saskatoon Blades, Regina Pats, Prince Albert Raiders, Moose Jaw Warriors, and Swift Current Broncos. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all came together and, and we were discussing ideas, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic of uh, how to generate revenue, how to stay relevant, and, and continue to engage with our fans. Um, and, and one big thing was our education fund, uh, which is typically funded uh, by all teams, at least in our province through their game night 50-50s. So we started looking at alternatives to that, knowing that we weren't, you know, once we learned that we weren't going to be playing in September, you know, how could we do that? Uh, and it was it was a bit of a lengthy process to get it all put together, um, you know, through through the Saskatchewan Liquor and Gaming Association. It's a little different than, than what you would see in, in Edmonton and the Oilers' success that they had with the NHL's return to play in their online 50-50. But we were, you know, very pleased with SLGA and, and everybody's, working to help us get this off the ground and now we got it out there and we're just uh you know waiting for monday the 16th so that we can open up sales and and watch this thing grow uh you know mm-hmm. hopefully to uh you know to get into the six figures uh, tyler i think it's important to remind fans that it's not just something that's going to make money for the teams this is something that the teams need because they end up having to pay a lot of this monies out that they're going to get i mean university players are still going to university they're still getting their scholarships which come for the vast majority of them in western canada at least from western hockey league teams and their education funds yeah that's absolutely correct Les. um you know and we've continued to see those numbers grow year over year in the whl I believe in the past year from uh, the 2019-2020 season, uh, there was over 400 uh, graduates that accessed the WHL scholarship program. As opposed to 10 years ago, there were under 300. So it continues to grow. And then I think this year with the pandemic and a lot of players not knowing whether they were going to report to, you know, whether it be American Hockey League teams or or pursue their careers elsewhere, uh, you know, I think we've seen a lot of players accessing those scholarships mm-hmm. here this past fall in 2020. So that's a good thing. You know, that's what the scholarship program is there for. And when you take a look at the, you know, the U of S Huskies and you see, you know, their roster is almost entirely made up of, of former WHL players, but it, it extends beyond the, the, the players. There, there's a lot of, uh, you know, students that maybe didn't continue their playing careers that are still accessing those scholarships across Across the country, you know, Scott Walford, for instance, uh, going to McGill uh, all the way out in in Quebec. And then, you know, like I said, even right here in our own backyard at the U of S, uh, you have some recent graduates, you know, such as Jesse Shinkrick from a couple of years ago, uh, who's not playing for the Huskies, but is using that scholarship at the U of S or or Brock Hamill, a local player that, uh, you know, played recently with the Blades, uh, Mm -hmm. guys like that. But, you know, so we're seeing those numbers and even within our province just last year alone, uh, I believe it's 84 scholarships were accessed. Uh, through the WHL scholarship program just in our province alone. So those numbers continue to grow. That's a good thing. Uh, and the teams are happy to support those, but, you know, not being able to play and not being able to have our 50 fifties on game nights, uh, you know, that money has to come from, from alternative sources. So uh, we're hopeful that the hockey harvest lottery will, will allow us to kind of enhance uh, our scholarship programs uh, for the, for the five teams in our province. Okay. So how can fans, what, what, what's in it for fans, Tyler? I mean, 
there's obviously a chance to buy tickets. How much are they worth? Where do they get them from? Mm-hmm. Uh, what can they win? All that kind of good stuff. Yeah, obviously we want to, you know, engage with our fans, give them something to kind of unite uh, together a little bit and, and be proud to support the teams in our province. I know hockey fans in our province, much like us uh, on the business side with the teams, we, you know, we put the rivalries aside and we're working together through this pandemic. And I think fans in the province are, are of the same mindset. They want to, they want hockey back, but they want to support their teams and they want to support their, their leagues and the players and the players that go on to, you know, become leaders in their communities after they, you know, complete their education. So uh, there's a lot in it for fans. You can, you can buy tickets. The, the lowest price point is 20 bucks for one ticket to get your name in the draw. And thanks to our friends over at Great Western Brewing Company who are you know, right here in Saskatoon, longtime partners of the Saskatoon Blades yep. and partners with all the teams in the province have uh, supported this and partnered with this so that we're able to start the jackpot at $75,000. So even if we don't sell one ticket, uh, you know, somebody, I guess we'd have to sell one to, to, to award the, the prize, but the mm-hmm. jackpot already starts at, you know, over $35,000. So we're confident that this is going to grow with all the fan bases. Um, so you get that cash prize. It'll be right before Christmas. We're going to make the draw in Saskatoon um, on, on December 21st. And we're hoping to get those up into that six figures so that somebody can take home a big fat check. And then the, the other half of the 50-50 will be split evenly amongst the five teams. Um, but we do have some, some uh, different options as well in terms of tickets. Like I said, it's one for 20, but we have some, some bigger options as well. You can get five for 50 bucks, 20 for 100, or whether it's you know your coworkers or maybe your rec team you want to all pool together. You can get as many as 500 tickets for a thousand bucks, or 150 tickets for 500 bucks. So there's some bigger options there as well. Get a, a little bit more bang for your buck, and and if you get those tickets uh, here within the first couple of weeks, you'll be entered into the early bird draw. So that mm-hmm. early bird deadline, as long as you buy your tickets before November 27th, uh, you'll be entered in to win. Uh, and the prize pack for that is actually five jerseys. So you get a jersey from each team in the province. Nice. Uh, so, so some, some excellent prizes there. And then of course, no chance of that big, uh, fat check right before Christmas. Okay. So it's, initially what I saw was progressive type of a thing, which to me means that there's going to be a lot of draws over a lot of days, but that's not necessarily the case. Correct. Yeah. There's one big draw. Yep. Uh, there'll be the early bird draw, which is the prize for the five jerseys. And then the final draw on December 21st, okay. uh, which is for the, the grand prize. So, uh, yeah, the, the grand prize is going to be a big one. Somebody's going to get, uh, you know, a big check. Uh, but, yeah, that'll be that one. And I know it's a little bit of, uh, you know, some of these uh, go for months and months on end. We're doing it a little quicker, uh, and we want to be able to give out this the, the check and the prize before the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, then after Christmas, we're, we're gearing up to hit the ice on, on January 8th. So, so uh, the timing works so great. So the deadline to buy tickets is? December 20th at 11.59 p.m. And the only real stipulation to buy tickets is you got to be 19 or older and you got to be within the province when you buy. You don't have to be a resident of Saskatchewan, but you got to be in the province when you buy. So you buy them online, whether it's on the Blades website, the Regina Pats website, Swift Current Broncos website, any of the five teams, or you can do it on the WHL website. You buy them online as long as you are physically located within the province when you make that purchase, you're good to go. Good. Okay, so we've seen a few NHL teams roll out a 50-50 jackpot. Some of those jackpots have gone into the 
seven-figure mark. Does this jackpot have the potential to get up that high, Ty? Well, we, we certainly hope so, and that was kind of the, the, the thought process of, you know, starting getting this, the pot started out at $75,000. Um, you know, as you guys know, we saw the one with the, the Edmonton Oilers did, um, you know, it, it, at, at a certain point it starts to snowball, and, mm-hmm. and the draft starts to sell itself, and, you know, people that bought tickets are going to buy more tickets because the number continues to grow. Um, so we're hopeful that early on we can get it up into those six figures right away. And then I think this thing, you know, definitely has that potential to snowball. It's during the holiday season, so if you want to buy some tickets for your friends, family, uh, you know, like I said, pooling in with your coworkers to get those, those larger packages, I think, you know, those instances are really going to help this thing climb rapidly. Uh, and it could be lots of fun. It's kind of the first of its kind in our province. So we're looking forward, you know, kind of the sky's the limit on this one, but we're, we're definitely hopeful that we can, uh, you know, see this thing grow to, to, to massive numbers. Dare we even say, you know, getting into those seven figure, uh, jackpots, mm-hmm. that would be outstanding, uh, not only for the five teams and, and their scholarship programs, but obviously for that, you know, whoever is the, is the winner or winners, uh, that final jackpot. Well, it'll be exciting to follow for sure. Oh, I'm looking yeah. forward to tickets going on sale next Monday, correct? And when is the early bird deadline? Early bird deadline is November 27th. Okay. So you got about 11 days. Tickets on sale the 16th, yep. right at 12.01. So as soon as uh, the clock rolls over after midnight on November 16th, you can log in, buy your tickets, buy as many as you want. And uh, as long as you buy them before the 27th, you're in for that early bird early bird uh, prize and then the the final deadline is december 20th at eleven fifty nine p.m wonderful excellent okay and just another reminder on some of those dates tickets go on sale next monday november 16th, november 16th. early bird deadline is november 27th yeah the final day to purchase tickets december 20th at eleven fifty nine p.m and yep. then of course the draw date happening uh the draw is happening here in saskatoon the draw date being that december 21st right before Christmas. Four, four days before arrives. Christmas. You get money on the 21st to buy whatever it is you need. Could maybe be, even yeah. a maybe even buy an island somewhere so that you can get out of Saskatoon and Saskatchewan. Not that you'd necessarily want to, but if we get snow again like that over Christmas mm-hmm. break, you may want to leave and go to your own private island. Why not? Absolutely. Hey, and with and the take jackpot, me along and take me along with you. <laughs> the jackpot opening at $75,000, half of which of course going into your pocket. My pocket? Your pocket, not your pocket, oh. the listener's pocket. Ah. If you're listening to this podcast, okay. odds are you're a big supporter of well, it the could, team, it right? Could, it could be my pocket if I buy my tickets <laughs> oh. and win. Not yeah. that that'll ever happen. Talking about a private island somewhere. Yes. We're taking a, I'm not going to say no to an invite if you're you going to be yeah. friendly this holiday sure. season. But um, speaking of being friendly, uh, you haven't even brought this up yet. Mm. My Movember stash. It's not bad. Ah, it's not good. I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Okay. Well, but I'll is, agree with you. This is me spinning into a little bit of a Movember update. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I haven't, you know, taken down everything quite yet. I'm still a little hesitant on that. But uh, a big thank you to anyone who has supported the Saskatoon Blades Movember team page. So far, we've raised more than $1,000. Good. And all of which going towards a great cause in supporting men's health initiatives, prostate cancer, testicular cancer. Both are terrible diseases that mm-hmm. are affecting many, many Canadians. So yep. a big thank you to anyone who has helped raise money. We're on day 12 so far of this 
uh, of Movember. So there's obviously the majority of the month to go. So hopefully we're able to, mm-hmm. you know, help spread awareness and raise a little bit more money over the next couple of days. As for the best mustache so far, I don't know. I haven't taken... Uh, I haven't taken a good look at some of the players who have mustaches, but I know Alex Morozov would be up there somewhere. Okay. Okay. All right. Have you taken a look at the movie? I haven't, actually. I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet. That's okay. I'm curious to see how Hootie looks. Hootie's not bad. Yeah? Actually, not bad. Okay. Um, I know Nolan Myers, he's working on a mustache. Not too sure how that's going. Chase Waters, uh, a couple of our assistant coaches. I know Mitch Love, obviously the head coach, he's uh, part of the uh, Hockey Canada Canada Movember movement, as well as our new assistant coach, Tyler Dietrich. Yep. Uh, and yeah, you know, why am I listing off all these names? Just head uh, to the Saskatoon Blades That's right. website, find the Movember post, and that'll take you directly to the team page where you can donate. You can also take a look at some of the other players who are taking advantage, growing out their mows, looking a little bit embarrassing, but of course doing it for a great cause. So again, a big thank you to anyone who has raised money, uh, for Movember through the Saskatoon Blades team page. A huge thank you. Someone else who uh, we touched on uh, via Movember last week, uh, Kirby Doc and Colton Doc, mm. certainly uh, doing some uh, wonders in the competition scheme as well. And, of course, Kirby, we had him on last week, right. and that's going to wrap us into this week's trivia question with an answer as well. Now, last week we uh, chatted with Kirby, obviously, now, the last time that Kirby competed for Team Canada, and this is the reason why we had him on, mm-hmm. is because he's been invited to Team Canada's World Junior Selection Training Camp, which takes place at the end of the month. No, actually, it starts on Monday as well, November 16th. That's uh, okay. That's right. It lasts for four weeks. It four goes weeks. through till December 13th, the actual selection camp. Yeah. They're playing six games against U Sport All Star teams mm-hmm. as well in the Red Deer bubble, uh, doing all kinds of scrimmaging, etc. So, they're going to be busy for four weeks. And then once December 13th is done, they pick the team. Then they head up to Edmonton. Right. And bubble there with, along with nine other countries. And the World Juniors will start on Christmas Day mm-hmm. at Rogers uh, Place. And, of course, Team Canada's first game will be on Boxing Day against Germany. Okay. But anyway, so that's, that's that. Lazarus with all the details there. Yes. You less. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so the trivia question from last week was the last time that Kirby competed for Team Canada. He helped capture a gold medal at the Helenka Gretzky Cup in 2018. How many points did Kirby collect through that tournament list? Yeah, he got seven points, two goals, five assists, the most by a WHL player on that Team Canada. Uh, he also scored the 2-2 goal in the gold medal game in which uh, Team Canada came from behind, actually, and beat the United States to win the gold medal at the Helenka Gretzky Cup in 2018. You had a couple of uh, correct answer submissions for this one, and I got to give a big shout out to the man who we have chosen as this week's uh, trivia question winner, if I can say this correctly, (laughs) Ryan Penner. So a big congratulations to you, Ryan Ryan. Penner. We will be in touch with you over the next couple of days, work on getting you a $25 gift card to the Frozen Pond, where you can take advantage and get some Blades merch. Stock up on some of the winter clothing that we've got. That's there a new you go. stock in store. Oh, good, good. Got some new hats, toques, mitts. That's right. Blades Uncut Podcast, episode 17, a presentation of Tint Center Saskatoon, Saskatoon's premier window film provider at tintcenter.ca, or you can call them at 306 683 3456. Junior A hockey continuing on, mm-hmm. although it's been shut down in Manitoba because of COVID 19. The SJHL, though, is continuing. Uh, Same thing in Alberta, also in BC. And with that in mind, 
We can tell you that there is a second Blades player who has been added to a Junior A roster. That's defenseman Aiden Delagorjandier, who has joined the Cowichan Capitals of the BCHL. Uh, the second Blade to join, Rhett Reinhardt, is playing for the Flin Flon Bombers in the SGHL. And again, in this situation, WHL players are allowed to play Junior A, Junior B, or with under-18 teams until December 20th because WHL training camps are to begin Boxing Day leading into mm-hmm. the January 8th regular season start. So mm-hmm. we'll be following what both Rhett and Aiden de la are doing with their respective Junior A teams. And to me, I mean, good for them. Mm-hmm. It'll give them a bit of a leg up, if you will, sure. when it comes to getting started. Um, but not everybody in the Western Hockey League amongst players is able to do this. So it's going to be curious to see how that ends up working, whether guys are able to, you know, whether the guys who got a chance to play Junior A or whatever uh, coming into the dub are able to have an advantage over the ones that didn't. It just worked out prior to the training camps. Yeah, that's right. I think at the very least it gives Aiden and Rhett a chance to stay engaged and develop their games and make sure that once we are back in training camp, here in Saskatoon for the Blades begins. Those two will hit the ground running. Both Aiden and Rhett will be heavily re- relied upon this Absolutely. year as well with the departure of Nolan, Neen, and Scott Walford. So two defensemen who will be earning their playing time this year and certainly uh, earning their playing time in Junior A markets as well. Yep. So let's get to the man of the hour, okay? Yes. We just had a great conversation with him, Mr. Clark Wilm, career blade. So why don't we run that interview uh, right now, Les? All right, time now for our feature guest on Blades Uncut for this podcast edition. And of course, this guy is the pride of Central Butte, Saskatchewan. Uh, he was a member, he was a veteran member already of the Blades team that I first got a chance to broadcast back in 1994-95 and a key member of that team. In fact, he may be one of the last Blades to have hit the 100-point plateau in a season in the 1995-96 season. Played on one of the greatest lines in Blades history. uh, And, of course, went on to play in the National Hockey League for three different teams. Two of them in Canada, uh, being Toronto and Calgary. And, of course, I'm talking about Clark Willem, who joins us uh, on the phone somewhere in Saskatchewan, driving (laughs) to work. Uh, Clark, how are you doing in these COVID-19 pandemic days? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for the... It was a great intro. <laughs> he keeps yeah. getting better yeah. and better at these intros. <laughs> exactly. No, that was really good. So well, yeah, everything is uh, as good as it can be, and doing uh, doing all we can to to stay safe and healthy. Yeah. Were you snowed in over the last weekend? I mean, we got it here bad in yeah. Saskatoon. You're down a little bit south uh, of us. Were you snowed in? Well, actually, I still live in Saskatoon, okay. so yeah. I think I'm. Uh, might be one of the smartest guys in the city. I have a snow blower that wasn't tuned up and had no gas in it, so I got to shovel about ten times. So. Okay, <laughs> it was a lot more work than I should have been doing. So it's, uh, but amazing the amount of snow we got over that day and a half or two days. Where's the kids? They're supposed to do that sort of thing for you, aren't they? Well, they uh, they help for about. 30 seconds and then they disappear and find something else to do. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so what does a typical November look like for the Wilm family? Uh, lots of hockey and yeah. lots of deer hunting. So that's pretty much uh, what we've been doing. And it's been great to get, I've got three boys in hockey. They're U13, 11 and nine. So 
been great to get back in the rink with them and keep them busy and get them off video games and doing yeah. something productive. <laughs> and you're off the video games because I, when I first contacted you, you were out deer hunting. I mean, uh, hey, uh, were you lucky at all? Did you get one? <laughs> we did get one. So we got drawn for mule deer, so spent quite a bit of time over the last couple of weeks out uh, out down close to home, kind of south of Taos or Park there. I think mm-hmm. you've been to the golf course a few times, less. Yes, I have. <laughs> and uh, so... Yeah, I spent lots of time doing that, getting outdoors, and something I've always loved doing ever since I was a kid. And obviously, playing playing pro hockey, you can do a little bit of it, but not a ton. So, taking advantage of that in retirement. They say that you retired from the sport after the 2010-11 season. You didn't play any senior in this area, did you? I went back and played a half a year in Central Butte. I had. Uh, my, both my grandmas were down there and then still still alive today. So I wanted to go back and just, just play a little bit of hockey for for them. And mom and dad, close to home and easy to get to. They, they supported me throughout my career. So when I retired, I thought uh, it was something I wanted to do and mm-hmm. played, played a little bit there and then was done and playing a little bit of beer league out at the Gemini with some buddies. <laughs> Let's go back to the early 90s when you're a young mm-hmm. guy and you're just getting going in your hockey career. You're playing minor hockey. Was that in Central Butte or was it nearby Moose Jaw or whereabouts were you doing your, playing your minor hockey? I played in Central Butte right until I left and came up and played for the Blazers. So we had, uh, actually, I think there was probably five or six guys on our small town team that went on to to play either major junior or junior A. And uh, another kid, Mark Smith, that I played with throughout my minor hockey, he went on and played in NHL too. So um, it uh, there was a lot of kids around in the early 90s in, in farming communities. So we, I was fortunate I got to play there and didn't have to leave home until, until I came up to Saskatoon for, for midget. And when you played... With the Blazers, you had a pretty good idea then of what the Western Hockey League was all about, what the Blades were all about, especially after they drafted you. It was one of the first Bantam drafts that they held in the Western Hockey League back in the early 90s. And I think your Bantam draft class included a guy like Rhett Warner, if I'm not mistaken, Chad Allen. I think Wade Belak might have also been in that mm. group, which is a pretty impressive group of guys to be drafted with. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, it was one of the first ones, so it's obviously got a lot more attention now, but I've told this story a lot of times. I, I didn't even have a clue what it was. Didn't, <laughs> didn't know what was going on. Just a young farm kid. And I got a phone call. I think it was Ron Meyer that called me and I was mm-hmm. downstairs watching TV after school one day. And he let me know, oh, the Saskatoon blades drafted you. And I just said, kind of said, thank you. Didn't really know what it was. I remember him asking me, are you, are you excited? I said, yeah, I think so. I didn't, I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, once a guy kind of moved on in his hockey career, you, uh, I realized that it was, it was a giant step for me and in my hockey career. And it was an honor to be drafted by the Blades. But like you said, early 90s, there's no internet, there's no nothing. So I, mm-hmm. I didn't really have a clue what it was. Okay, so you get drafted, Clark. What were the months like after? How, how, how soon after the draft did you skate with the Blades? 
I want to say, like, Daryl Lubinicki came down and watched some games and chatted with him. And mm-hmm. at that time, the Saskatoon Blazers is where the Blades wanted their guys to go. So I said, mm-hmm. would you be willing to come up to Saskatoon next year and uh, try out for the Blazers? And, of course, I was. I wanted to be a hockey player ever since I was just a tiny little kid. So it... Uh, it was a no-brainer for me. Not that the mm-hmm. not that the move wasn't a giant adjustment going right. from a town of four hundred people to a going to school at Marion Graham where there was a thousand or nine hundred kids there. It was it was a bit of a culture shock, but uh, yeah, it would have been. I can't. The draft maybe was in February, and the next next fall I was playing for the Blazers. How? Yeah, so maybe talk a little bit more just about that adjustment because you're you're moving away from home, life, the hockey life is a little bit different, obviously, but just that cultural shock, like you had mentioned, maybe just speak a little bit more about how long it took for you to adjust into living in Saskatoon. I was pretty fortunate. Like my older brother, we were not quite two years apart, so he moved up to Saskatoon too, and okay. That made it quite a bit easier, but I would say it would have been Christmas before a guy got got to the point where he was, for myself anyway, totally adjusted and mm-hmm. getting used to living in the city. And so, but a major thing was my my brother moved up there with me, so you had that support system, and that that helped a lot. And then once you get in, once you get into the rhythm with the hockey team and start to to meet guys and, and develop friendships it becomes fairly easy and you get you get used to it over the course of your career moving and and uh meeting new people but yeah. it, it definitely took a while that first first year away from home clark you played four seasons with the blades from 92 through 96 uh the numbers say you played 282 games you had 101 goals 252 points 514 penalty minutes in the western hockey league which means that however you wanted to play the game, however opposition team mm. wanted to play the game, you were more than willing to play it that way. Yeah, I think so. I, uh, especially in junior, and I found that I played in really all situations. You, unless you know, Mooner was a wild man back in the day. You <laughs> like guys that played, played tough, and you look at our teams, you don't really think about it at the time, but you look back and you look at the, the toughness we had and, and the skill we had, and it was pretty impressive. So uh, I found myself in every situation. I could be out there at the end of the game on the power play or the penalty kill or thrown out there when we're down 6 or 7-1 with with some guys that are looking to, to have some fun and some rough stuff. So it was <laughs> – I enjoyed playing, playing hard, and if uh, – there was a line brawl. I didn't. I didn't shy away, shy away from getting into it. So it was. It was a lot of fun, and I think a lot of that has to do with just the upbringing on the farm and brothers close to mm-hmm. close to my age. You tend to scrap a little bit and yeah. just develop that uh, that edge, I guess. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Mooner, of course. That's Lauren Mullican, who was your head coach for three of your four seasons with the Blades. Uh, how big of an influence was he on your hockey career and your development? Yeah, so like you said, three of the four years I was with him, and he was he was great. He he demanded a lot of us, and as you know, less very very intense guy. He didn't uh, he wanted you to work hard and compete, and 
and if you did it, you definitely heard about it. And so it, uh, I think it really helped me. He taught us a lot. There was a lot of teaching and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, how to, how to work hard and how to approach the game and, and just how to compete and put together him and, and Luby put together some great teams in the early nineties and, and I think winning goes a long way to developing too. So we had some we had some good teams that went fairly deep in the playoffs, and and you just learn how to compete in high pressure situations. Have you got a good funny Mooner story or a funny story from those times? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's probably lots, but uh, I think one of the better ones is. Remember him on the bus? He'd always be complaining about the heat, just mm-hmm. constantly <laughs> whining and saying it. Uh, he'd rather be on a sled dog, and it's it's freezing in here. And so it, uh, he was always up to up to something and, and giving it to the bus driver to turn the heat up. And on that old iron lung, I think mm. it was a 1960. <laughs> I don't even know if the heat worked for the most part. No, so it. Uh, just just the way he demanded us to to work hard and, and approach the game and 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 compete was was the major thing I remember about Mooner. We're going to get back to a couple some of your earlier years with the Blades, but I want to mm-hmm. get to your last year with the team where you had over 100 points playing on a line with Mark DL and Frank Bannum. Frank ends up scoring 83 goals that year. Mm. DL chisels his way to the uh, WHL scoring title. And when I say chisel, you know as well as I do, and Mark will probably admit this himself, that he chiseled his way. He found a way to get more second assist than anybody in the league that year. But <laughs> tell me about playing with that line. That must have been a huge a thrill. I mean, a big kick to be able to play with a group of guys like that. Yeah, yeah for the most part, and uh, like Frankie, for the most part, and I played a lot together throughout our or four years, I guess he finally decided to pass to me in our last year a few times. So, <laughs> it, uh, but Mark was uh, Mark was a centerman, and I was too. And then uh, in my last year, I'd blown out my shoulder the year before, so I couldn't really take any face offs or anything like that. So they they moved me to the wing, and it seemed to work out uh, real good. We had a good chemistry. Frankie could shoot the puck like none other, and just had a knack for scoring goals and, and Mark was very fast and creative and I just went to the front of the net. I don't I don't think of my of my forty nine goals, if you put them all together you wouldn't have got ten feet from the net. So it, <laughs> I just went to the net and, and created some space for those guys and, and did what I did best, which was you know, battle down low and, and work hard in the corners and, and go to the net and just let them use their creativity and I think it I think it worked out well for all of us. You're far too modest. <laughs> Go ahead, Mitch. Clark, a question that we have to ask every guest that we have on this podcast is what was the rivalry like against Prince Albert? Because second to none is the usual answer, but what <laughs> really stands out as being unique when you look back on that Saskatoon PA rivalry? I was thinking about that last night and mm-hmm. So if you look at their top players in my area, era, like Dennis Peterson and, and Shane Toporowski and those guys, a lot of us, like Rhett Chad and I, we played against them in Midget the year before and then all through 
all through our our junior careers. So we had a long standing battle with them, and it was, I think, the one time we probably played them close to twenty times. We played them in exhibition, and then I think eight times during the regular season. Then we met them in the playoffs too. So. Mm-hmm. It, uh, that was the longest hour and 20-minute bus ride in junior hockey for us, for sure. It was too short to sleep, and you had to sit there and think about uh, that tiny little rink and guys running mm-hmm. around, and you just knew that that if you weren't ready to play, you could probably get yourself hurt. So it, And for me, probably Peterson would have been the toughest, toughest guy to play against. He was a centerman, I was a centerman, and you mm-hmm. just knew that you were going to have to compete all game. Every time you got the puck, he was going to hit you or cross-check you, and in front of the net, he'd be punching you in the head. And <laughs> it uh, it was a battle, and that tiny little rink, I think, uh, I think it was Hajurtis one year. It mm. almost put me in the fourth row. I wasn't paying attention. And <laughs> he ran me from across the ice, and I think it was probably my first year in the league. And After that, I uh, I knew what to expect going into PA, and but it uh, it was definitely nice having having McAllister and Belak on the back end to, <laughs> yeah. to calm things down if it got Absolutely. too out of control. Absolutely. All right. So Clark, you're drafted in the sixth round, 150th overall by the Calgary Flames in 1995. The year before, in the playoffs of '94, the Blades go all the way to the final against Kamloops. I don't know how much you think about that, and when you're drafted by the Flames in '95. But a future teammate of yours with the Flames is going to be Jerome McGinley, who beat you in Game 7 of that uh, Western Hockey League final. Uh, tell me about that rivalry, that particular series, and what that was like getting all the way to the final game and then not quite being able to finish it off, but having that type of great season like you had against uh, uh, to get all the way to that situation against McGinley and Kamloops. Yeah, that team they had out there, that's... Uh... I guess not even that team, but there was probably five years there where they were just dominant in junior hockey. And tell you what, I was here I was sick of hearing "Taking Care of Business" song. I have flashbacks every time I hear that dumb song played. I think it was eight-one. They beat us in the final yeah. game, or the seven-one, and just oh. over and over listening to that. So um, you think of the players that they have, like Jerome McGinley was there, Hall of Famer Shane Doan, Darcy mm. Tucker. The list goes on, and just. They were uh, they were probably a better team than us, no question. But uh, it was a good battle. I think when we came back in, in Saskatoon, we played those three games and we had a chance to win. Uh, I think we won two out of three, and we we should have really really won that third one also, which would have sent us back to Kamloops up three games to two, but. Obviously, it didn't work out, and we were forced at the game seven, and they were just too strong. It's mm-hmm. it uh, it was a long series, and I think their their higher end skill kind of took over and finishes off. But it was it was a long sixteen or seventeen hour bus ride back to that, mm, that oh. and that's for sure. It's yeah. just man, you know, at that age, you're you got a chance to go to Memorial Cup and didn't get it done and then you get to ride the bus or <laughs> through three provinces in the mountains it was <laughs> it was heartbreaking at the time i'm sure i'm pretty quiet yeah yeah i'm pretty sure a quiet bus ride as well as long as it was 
oh, you're exhausted, and then yeah. you're disappointed from not from not winning. So it was it was a tough bus ride back. Yeah. Well, you mentioned a couple of the guys who you you squared off against in that final, Clark. Uh, Jerome McGill is a guy who you know really stands out. Shane Doan as well. Darcy Tucker, both you know, all three of those guys went on to have tremendous NHL careers. Uh, you obviously you got to know Jerome quite well in Calgary, but back then uh, in junior hockey, what kind of a player was he, and did he have a lot of those same traits when you were a teammate with him in Calgary? Uh, I would like to say yes, he did. Like he, from the time I met him. In uh, in Calgary, he always worked hard. He was mm-hmm. uh, he was a gym rat. He loved working out. He took care of himself, and you could tell he was going to be a special player right from the start. And in uh, back then, we only played them twice a year, so you didn't didn't really see him a lot until we played him in the finals. Yeah. So, but he he was dominant. So strong, you could not get him off the puck, and his shot was second to none. So. It's when I think back on my career and playing and knowing Iggy for, I think we're in the Flames organization for six or seven years together and just, just a special player right from the start. He always worked hard and the way he approached the game and took care of his body in the late nineties, he was, he was ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. All right. So Les had mentioned, obviously 1995, you drafted by the Calgary Flames. You mentioned the WHL draft. You didn't really know a whole lot about it. Obviously, the NHL draft is a much larger deal. Do you remember the day that you were drafted by Calgary? Yeah, I went to the draft. Um, it was in Edmonton. And mm-hmm. So I was a lifelong Flames fan growing up as a kid. I, we always I had relatives in Calgary, so we'd go watch the, the Flames. and So loved Lanny McDonald and then Theo Fleury and Moose Jaw. When I was a young kid, we had we had season tickets to the Warriors, so mm. he was there. So I was a Flames fan, so it was a dream come true to get drafted by them. It uh, get drafted by the team you grew up cheering for is is very special. On top of getting drafted to the NHL, which is a which is a huge honor. So mm-hmm. it was it was a dream come true, and then to be able to play play for them for four years and play in the Saddle Dome, which as a kid, going to the only NHL game I went would go to would be would be there. So it mm-hmm. it was a special time and just an honor to play for a great organization like them. How well do you remember your first training camp in Calgary, Clark? Any fun stories from from that experience? <laughs> I don't know if I'd call them fun, but uh, <laughs> I think my first training camp was in St. John, New Brunswick, and. We went to the rookie camp there, all us young guys, and then mm-hmm. I think the the main camp came along, and uh, most of us were on the ice early in the morning and just basically straight bag skate and not a lot of pucks and just not a lot of fun. So I can remember coming back to Saskatoon and thinking, oh, that training camp sucked, and the next year when I went back and, and into main camp, it was a lot different. You're out there with, with uh, guys that are playing in the NHL and mm-hmm. it, uh, it was a lot more fun. I'll put it that way. Clark, you made your debut with the flames in 98. Do you remember that game? Do you remember your first NHL goal? That sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually played my first two NHL games in uh, Tokyo. So it was, <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> it, 
uh, was a pretty cool experience going over there. I think we were over there for seven or ten days. and uh, Remember a little bit about it. I wish I would have been a little older when we went over there and took uh, took in a few more sites. But I don't think I've ever ate so much noodles and McDonald's in my life. <laughs> looking Looking for something that was kind of similar to back home and it was the first time I was introduced to uh to sushi so Steve Smith <laughs> took us out to a bunch of his younger guys and they they brought our sushi which I at the time I I didn't mind but mm-hmm. no clue that they had in between the rice and the uh the fish was a giant a ball of wasabi so oh. imagine how that went and oh. they're crying and thinking my head's gonna explode <laughs> well, oh. welcome to the league kid yeah, no NHL career is yeah. pretty short-lived yeah, yeah exactly so oh, wow yeah some great life experiences over there and it was it was cool to play uh play my first couple games over there but a lot uh, not a lot more special but coming back to the saddle dome and playing the first game in front of Mm-hmm. Front of the Flames fans was was awesome, and then uh, first NHL goal, NHL goal was in Montreal. So nice! It uh, I think it was a Wilm special. It was about two inches from the goal line. I skated <laughs> in and shoveled it in. So it was. Uh, I'd like to say it was end to end, but it it definitely wasn't. But I would say it was, majority of my goals were from there. So it was it was fitting. Clark, who are you really tight with with the Flames? Like, what was your relationship with some of the veteran guys? A guy like Craig Conroy or Mm -hmm. guys like that? Uh, Good. Like, uh, Craig Ruby, he was was there when I was there. Great relationship with him. And he had been around for, you know, he would have been in his mid-30s. So he was was great to hang out with and kind of learn about the game. And then Dave Lowry was the captain Mm -hmm. for a while and, and Steve Smith. So lots of uh, lots of older players that, that had been around where we learned a lot from. And then, like I was saying earlier, Iggy was uh, ahead of his time. So you'd, you'd come off the ice and he'd be in the gym working out after. So he, I would say he probably drove that team from, from the time he got there to the time he left just with his work ethic and, and being a pro. Um, who else would have been there? Theo was there for for most of my first year, which was pretty mm-hmm. special growing up as a kid, watching him play and, and the amount of skill he had was, was unreal to be five, six or seven and playing in, in the era where clutch and grab and yeah, there was more giant mutants and there was little guys. So <laughs> he, uh, it was amazing to watch him game in game out, just, uh, put on a clinic with his skill. Mm-hmm. You mentioned those, that rule change the fact that it was a lot of clutch and grab hook and hold back in the day. And then afterwards, how did that affect you and your career afterwards? Less all those plugs that couldn't really skate got yeah. shipped out. It didn't, didn't last very long after that for, for lots of guys. So yeah. um, it was tough that lockout season. I was fortunate. I got to go to, I played in the minors in St. John's that year. So I was fortunate to play, but, I think if you talk to anybody who sat that uh, that full year out, they could do it over again. They'd, we wouldn't have been skipping a year. So yeah. um, I think the game has gotten better in some ways, but uh, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So yeah. it's it's fun to watch, and I know my kids enjoy it, but 
I definitely like the older style of game a little more. Somewhere yeah. somewhere in the middle for me would be would be better. I'm with you there. You're preaching to the choir on that one. <laughs> uh, go from Toronto, or sorry, from Calgary to Nashville. What was it like playing in Nashville? I mean, everybody knows what it's like nowadays. Was it the same back uh, when you were playing yeah. in Nashville? No, it was. I think the team would have been in their fifth year. So, mm-hmm. um, no, not at all. You, if you picked up the sports section in the paper, you'd be on the third page, uh, third page of the sports underneath high school football. And it was, it was a big change growing up in Canada and hockey, 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 and then playing in Calgary, where you know the Flames are are a big ticket. So it for me, it was it was almost at the time, like not even really playing in the NHL with the amount of media and, and, uh, focus on the team, but you know, they've, Mm -hmm. they've grown it down there to be a huge part of that community. Like Nashville, the city was always awesome and it was a great fan base, but they were just growing and new to it. So it is very impressive to see, how they've taken it from what it was in those first few years to what it is now. Okay, so you go from big deal hockey Calgary to not so much Nashville, and then to Toronto where it's really a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a religion there almost. What was that like with the Maple Leafs and that craziness of that atmosphere? I loved it. I thought yeah. uh, Toronto was a it was a great place to play. And back back then, uh, Matt Sundin was there and Gary Roberts and Joe Newendike and Eddie Belfour. You could, the list goes on and on. Like, uh, so it, uh, and, uh, it was, it was a very special place to play. I would say if it's not the most storied franchise in, in hockey, it's, it's right there with Montreal. So yeah. mm-hmm. it was a very special place to play. And yeah, coming, coming from Calgary where it was, there was a huge focus on the flames and then going to Toronto, it's just next level. They, uh, they live and live and die with, with the Leafs and the amount of focus in the city on the Leafs is, is pretty impressive. So it, it can be a real tough to place to play if you're not winning and paying attention to all the, uh, the media scrutiny. But I was fortunate when I was there, it was the fans and the media were great to me and, uh, I loved every minute of it. Clark, you got a little bit of overlap with Gary Roberts playing in Toronto as well. Do you have any Gary Roberts stories? Uh, yeah, I fought him uh, in the <laughs> exhibition before I got to, <laughs> I got to okay. Toronto. So I went to, training ca- I went to training camp in Detroit, and uh, we were playing the last couple exhibition games against Toronto and ended up us to scrapping in front of the bench and then never fails in hockey. The first guy I see when I come into, into the, the team meal in Toronto is Gary. So it, uh, I knew him a little bit from, from he was still around when I was drafted with the, the flames. So I, I knew him a little bit and we had a good chuckle over it. So just a great guy. And, and another guy that if you, if you sat back and watched how he approached the game, it was, it was pretty amazing how hard he worked and what he overcome to, to go on to not have a amazing career, but finish, finish his career, finish his career when lots of people thought it was over early on. So it, uh, it is pretty amazing how hard he worked and, and 
had a great career when everybody thought it was probably probably done when he was 29 or 30. We're speaking with Clark Willman. It only uh, if we're going to continue to talk about your career, Clark, we have to talk about the fact that once your NHL days are done, you go overseas as mm-hmm. well to play. You go to Sweden. You also play in Germany. There's a culture shock and a little bit of a difference as well. Uh, what prompted that move overseas? Uh, I knew I wanted to continue playing, and I was I didn't have any interest to ride the bus in the minors. Mm, um, yeah. So I. My head coach, who was who coached me in uh, in St. John's for for a year and a half, there, Doug Shed, and he was in mm-hmm. Helsinki, Finland. So mm. contacted him and and worked out a deal. And I've, Europe was uh, was a awesome experience. Some of the most fun hockey I played in a long time. And and just uh, when you talk about a culture culture shock. Uh, in Finland, they are allowed three imports, so we had just me and uh, another young American guy. So hmm. it uh, it took some adjusting. The first time I'd ever been to Europe, and the time change, and you get there. And um, I'm happy I went to Finland first. They uh, the Finnish people are, you know, they're very close to to Canadian, and mm-hmm. and they. You know, it's it's basically basically like living in Canada for the most part. Like they love hockey and it's a hockey culture and they were they everybody spoke English, they start learning English in, in the second grade. So that part of things is made it a lot easier. So mm-hmm. um after that went to, to Germany for three years, which which was a great experience too, but totally totally different. They're allowed ten or eleven imports, mm-hmm. so Half the team was was guys I I played with here in in North America and John Tripp and and Travis Brigley and guys like yeah. that which which I knew from mm-hmm. fifteen years earlier so <laughs> but well well worth doing I would recommend any any kid that that's playing the game that has a chance to go over there to to take advantage of it nice. So not too much of a language barrier in Finland. Was there much of a language barrier in Germany, Clark? Uh, for the most part, even in Germany, everybody's, maybe not everybody, but a huge majority of people speak English. And, right. and they were they were good about, they could tell you had no clue how to speak German. So everybody, <laughs> everybody was good about speaking English to you. And if you, uh, some funny stories from over there, I tried to learn some, learn some German and, you know, you'd go in and order a coffee and, you know, kind of stumble through the, stumble through the German language and the lady behind the till would just speak English to you because she, she had no clue how to speak German. So, <laughs> so it was, uh, the people were amazing and that's, that's probably one of the best things about, uh, about the game is the amazing people you, you meet throughout your career. Mm-hmm. Okay, so got, one of the memories I have of Clark Wilm playing is with the Saskatoon Blades is ending a game in double overtime in the playoffs in 1995. Uh, a clapper from off the wing that beat Swift Current Broncos, I believe, in game four of that series. Uh, it's probably not your career highlight. What would it be for you? What would be your hockey highlight moment for you, Clark Wilm? 
I forgot about that one last. Let's uh, <laughs> tell my boys about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can, I can, I can probably find it on an old tape that I have somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the old beta or VHS. So. Yeah, that's right. Uh, hockey highlight would probably be playing my first NHL game. Yeah. Um, it's pretty tough to beat that one. It's, you know, first thing is, is getting drafted by, by the team I grew up cheering for and, and my favorite team and then going on to to play my first game and score my first career NHL goal with them was would probably be the highlights of cool. of my hockey career for sure. Good. Clark, you certainly weren't afraid to drop the mitts either. Do you remember your first fight? Uh, I remember I was a bleeder all through through junior <laughs> hockey. It took me probably two or three years to enough scar tissue above my eyes to stop bleeding every time I got punched but uh so going back to that draft class uh Brett Chad and I and then uh and then Wade so we Brett Chad and I all had come up with this genius idea that at training camp we're we're all going to fight Wade so it's uh <laughs> I, I don't know how those two did but uh he pretty much welded my eyes shut and i had ice on my face for, for about a week <laughs> after so i learned early that uh a very tough customer and just just a great uh great man rest in yeah. peace he was yeah. one of my one of my best friends yeah. i you know we played together with the blades and sat across the the aisle on the bus together and then we played in calgary together in toronto so we were we were roommates and it's uh just a great great tough man and yeah yeah it was very sad to lose him yeah absolutely who were some of the other real tough guys in the nhl during your career clark oh if you look at the early 90s it was mm-hmm. uh it was scary to go on the ice at times to, uh for me, probably the scariest would have been uh, Tony Twist. Just oh yeah, yeah. Like no ambition to even go in the corner. You could have the puck whenever you wanted because you never, <laughs> you never knew. You heard all the stories because he played for the Blades, and you heard all the stories about what a wild man he was. And then you, then you see him, and you're like, yeah, that that fits the fits the uh, the bill. So he was. He was very scary, and then uh, who else? Probert was around, and mm-hmm. and and those guys. So it was it was a very tough era, and every team had four or five guys that that were tough and could fight. So the time here with you, Clark, has been outstanding. This is great stuff, by the way. Uh, I want to know because I know you could grow a pretty good one, but do you grow a Movember stash still or no? I don't. I I should. I got. Uh, some guys at the office bugging me to, to get it started, so may, maybe I will finish the month off with a stash. And, it won't take you long. No, it won't. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't. It doesn't take so long. So I think I'll finish it off. They've been bugging me to get in on the group. So there you go. It's for a great cause, and absolutely, and it's, uh, it's definitely worth doing. I know. I've been trying to get less on board with growing one. I've been embarrassing myself for the last two weeks with one. So. <laughs> for some reason mine's turning gray i don't know why that is oh. no, don't ever admit to that goodness <laughs> you're younger than i am don't admit to that <laughs> i know it's uh, the old gray beard my kids make fun of me oh no <laughs> oh, 
All right, Clark. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're a busy guy. You're you're on your way into work. You got to be parked outside of work right now. I'm guessing. Getting getting close. Yeah, <laughs> getting close. Okay, yeah, forty five or an hour down there. So. All right. Well, this has been great, Clark. Really appreciate the time. Uh, we might just have to have you on uh, a second time. I know you'd mentioned Tony Twist was you know, arguably the toughest guy, one of the scariest guys he ever fought against. I'd recommend listening to his interview. Yeah. Uh, he's just as much of a wildcat, uh, you know, just having a conversation with him as he was on the ice. So a lot of fun stories there as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, just to clarify, I never fought him. I never no, went near okay. him. <laughs> You're a smart right. man. You're a smart man. You <laughs> yeah. always were, Clark. You were a lot of fun to be around. I thank you so much for the time, and uh, we wish you and your family all the best. Stay well, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, Clark. Thank awesome. you. Big thanks to Clark Wilm for jumping on board. A tremendous storyteller. He had a lot of great tales to share about his days here in Saskatoon. His days currently ongoing here in Saskatoon. He yep. moves back uh, into his home province after uh, an illustrious NHL career, if you go that far. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I, I mean, he played uh, over a couple of hundred games yeah. in the NHL. Uh, of course, very well-known. Yeah, well, very yeah. well-known. Very popular yeah. here as well from his time in the early to mid-90s. So uh, mm-hmm. it was great to have him on. And it's going to lead to other guys from that era to uh, be on as well in future Blades Uncut podcasts. Hopefully we'll be able to get Rhett Warner on. He talked about Chris McAllister. He's local. Yeah. Uh, it'd be good to have him on. Uh, Lurch, as he was known, because he was only six foot seven. <laughs> and just Lurch. and just and just a very very dangerous player to come up against if you were so stupid enough I will say yeah. to want to engage him in fisticuffs. <laughs> yeah. soft spoken, yeah. great guy Chris McAllister. Just I have to give him a shout out because he's one yeah. of the he's one of the really good guys who uh, came through the Saskatoon Blades along with the Clark Wilms and the Rhett Warners and the Frank yeah. Bans, et cetera, et cetera, Paul Butchkowski, guys like that that mm-hmm. were part of that first team that I covered with the Blades back in 1994-95. Sure, it brings up a lot of great memories having these guys on. Absolutely does. Mm-hmm. I love it. So that brings us to this week's trivia question. If yes. you know the answer, head to saskatoonblades.com. The Blades Uncut podcast is found under the interactive tab. Fill out the form with your answer and cross your fingers, and hopefully you will be selected if you correctly guess mm. the trivia question. But this week... Obviously, we touched on Clark Wilm being drafted by the Calgary Flames. He was 150th overall in the 95 NHL draft. But he wasn't the only Blade to be selected that year. So who was the other draft pick to represent the Pac-Man in the 95 NHL draft? And bonus points if you can tell us the round, team, and overall pick that he was chosen. And no hints on this one. No hints. No. No hints. No hints. So if you know the answer, head to SaskatoonBlades.com, find the interactive tab, click on Blades Uncut Podcast, fill out the form, or send us an email, info at SaskatoonBlades.com, or, you know, get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're all eyes all over the social media landscape. The fact that I said no hint should tell you a lot about who that person might very well be. Save on Foods is a presentation of episode 17 of the Blades Uncut Podcast. Let's save on foods. Do the shopping for you. Shop online today at saveonfoods.com. All right. Masters weekend. Yes. It's so uncharacteristic to see Augusta in November and see the world's best at one of the nicest golf courses, if not the nicest golf course uh, in the world this week. So Masters is this week, Masters in November, and then, of course, the 2021 Masters is scheduled for April. Back to April, yeah. This is crazy. I love it. This, okay. So Masters week is one of the biggest weeks uh, of the year. Yep. For many golf fans. 
And I am, I've got my laptop open and I'm going to take a look to see exactly how it's going. I know. So well, they had a rain delay like very we, quickly yeah. after. I mean, they had Jack Nicholas and Gary Player did the ceremonial tee shots as per usual. Mm-hmm. And then they got started and they basically got one or two holes yeah, in. I think they were. And then, and then the rains came. It was pretty foggy when, when so, I think I saw somewhere that somebody hit a tee shot on number 10. It was Sandy Lyle who hit the very first tee shot mm-hmm. off the 10th tee, former champion of the Masters, and said, did you see where that went? I mean, it might have been straight down the fairway, but there's so much fog. <laughs> so much fog. And couldn't mist. see it. So, uh, yeah. and then it rained, and so they were in a delay. I don't know if they've gotten started up yet or not, but. Uh, it looks like they are. I'm just okay. looking at it right now. Good, good. Decky, Matsu, it's, I mean, yeah. it's early, and yeah. golfers are only through five, six holes. Oh, but yeah. Hideki Matsuyama is at minus two. Larry Mize, we're not sure how long that's going to last. He's at two under as well. Lee Westwood, Xander Shoffley, all at minus two. But um, I think a lot of the, you know, the hype this year, of course, is on the defending champion from 19 months ago. It's not like Tiger Woods wanted to keep the green jacket for as long as he has. He would have preferred to play this year's event back in April when yes. it's normally played. But how do you think Tiger Woods is going to do this okay, this for, week? First of all, you're poo-pooing the veteran Larry Mize. <laughs> yeah. He's from there. He plays that course probably a zillion times uh, when nobody else can because he's a member and a former champion. So all he, I said. He's, he's capable of putting up a number. All Whether I he can do it over <laughs> okay. four days, that's another thing. That's A. Uh, B, <laughs> Tiger Woods, unfortunately, I don't see him doing very well because he hasn't yeah. done very well since winning the Masters. He hasn't played all that many events either. No. And the ones that he has played, he hasn't necessarily competed in. But I'm not giving any poo-poo on Larry Mize here. All I'm saying <laughs> is that I'm not sure how long it's going to last yeah, him well, yeah. two under through four holes. Great oh. to see him up there, the ripe age of 62 years old. He'd yeah. become the... Uh, um, well, he won in 1987. That's right. Yeah. So, which was also a glory, uh, you know, a glorious time for golf and the Masters. and One of the great shots in Masters history mm-hmm. uh, on a playoff hole where he chipped in from well off the fairway uh, to win. I, I beat, I believe it was Greg Norman in a playoff. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that, that's uh, really something else. And Larry yeah. Mize being up there early in the round. I, like I said, <laughs> I'm with you. I don't know how much longer he can add. That's all I'm saying. But I'm, but I'm happy for a guy who's 62, and I'm coming up on that number, to be able to do that through four holes. It gives <laughs> me a good burst of energy on a day like today. Uh, a guy who doesn't give me a lot of burst of energy that's in this tournament is Bryson DeChambeau. You don't think so? I don't like him. Why don't you like I him? Don't, I don't like a guy that is trying to out-hit the golf course all the time mm, okay. with the technology that's available. I, I, I understand something that he does do, and that's have all of his clubs be the same length. To me, that's mm-hmm. that's smart. It's, to me, that's the brilliant. mad scientist of golf. Yeah, he's the mad scientist. However, mm-hmm. don't take that mad science too far. Like somebody saying, say, like Nick Faldo said that if Bryson DeChambeau drives the first green, which is 455 yards, yeah. he'd run around naked. Yeah. Well, as fun as that, as 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 not fun as that would be, the fact that that could happen, that Deshambo thinks he can do that, to me, just takes away anything. Although, (sighs) thank goodness for him, he actually did say that it's going to boil down to chipping and putting are going to be the keys to winning the Masters. Amen, brother. That's what that's that's where it is. You can drive for show, but you got to putt for dough, and it absolutely is that way at the Masters. But Deshambo has to tone it down. Hit the Mm -hmm. fairway, darn it. Let me try my best to convince you otherwise here. Okay. Okay, and it's probably not going to happen. I know you're looking away from me now. Oh. You're a little upset about For the longest time, I didn't agree with what Bryson DeChambeau was doing to the game. Mm-hmm. Okay? But at the same time, 
we're trying to grow the game. Okay. The best way to do that is to have golf professionals grow the game and try to introduce something that we've never seen before. So for Bryson to be clocking drives north of 400 yards, it doesn't come without a strong dedication and a passion for the game oh. and the will to hit drive after drive after drive and eat meal after meal after meal to throw on 35, 40 pounds in an effort to add a component to his game that will pay off. Are How you sure much? It's just meals. Are you sure there isn't well, anything protein else? Shakes and I yes, in terms of performance enhancement. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay, no, I don't. I'm think not so. so certain. That's I'd 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 make him get a cup and pee into it and let's test to make sure that he's clean. <laughs> really? I, I mean. Yeah, well, I haven't really looked a whole lot into it, but I know that the PGA Tour does crack down on that kind of stuff. Yes, they do. You know, quite a bit. But Bryson, he's he's changing the way that the game is played. I don't recognize it. In in, in many ways. And there's a lot of people who disagree with that. They, they love the traditional approach, and yeah. I appreciate that as well. And I'm not saying here that I'm a Bryson DeChambeau fan, but I understand what he's doing. And what he's doing is he's raising viewership, and he's hitting massive drives, and there are a lot of golfers who are new to the golf scene because of COVID who are taking a liking to just how far and how much he's shaping the game. You look at the U.S. Open and what he did, there were a lot of doubters who didn't think that overpowering a golf course such as Wingfoot, where you need the finesse, where the fairways are as tightly constricted as they are in Wingfoot, there are a lot of doubters saying, Bryson, you, by all means, go ahead and try to overpower it, but Wingfoot is going to bite back, and it didn't. So do I think that Bryson is going to do well in this year's Masters? I don't think he's going to win, but I think he's going to be in the conversation. It's oh, going probably. to be super entertaining to see how far he's able to hit some of those drives. Like I think of hole 13, the par five mm-hmm. that rips around the corner to yep. the left. Mm-hmm. He could have himself, a, he hit a three wood in the practice round and he left himself a seven iron in for his approach shot, which it's a par five. You sh- shouldn't have a seven iron no. in on any par five, but He's also hitting a 7-iron 210, 220 yards. But if he hits a driver and if he tries to hook it around that corner, he could leave himself a sand wedge into that I was going to say, driver gap wedge on 13 at the Masters just doesn't sound right. It doesn't. It doesn't. And I agree. And I think the the conflict with it comes in the fact that we're trying to grow the game and PGA Tour pros are trying to grow the game and enhance the game and get better at the game and try to in some ways, manipulate the game in an effort to to become better golfers. Bryson has manipulated himself into becoming a better golfer. But then we've also got this other side of the coin where you're a traditionalist. You want to keel back how far golfers yeah. are hitting the ball. And I appreciate that too. So there has to be some sort of a balance in terms of like how far are you able to hit it while still growing the game and giving spectators something to watch. Having enough room to put 18 holes on a property so you can have yeah. it. Because right about now, they're, yeah. they're knocking themselves out of some of these golf it's courses. It's so true. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a rumor going around Augusta National that that 13th hole, they have the uh, the ability to potentially in, you know add another 80 meters, I guess. That was what the tweet had mentioned. Mm. But they have the ability, the land, to add 80 meters, go back behind the tee box, so that to clear, to get yourself into the corner where you might have a second shot, 
you'd still have to hit it about 330 yards and then, you know, you're still left with a six iron up into the green. So that's, that's long. That's the ability to enhance a hole and make it more challenging so that you have to hit a drive well over 300 yards uh, to just give yourself a chance. So there are, you know, golf courses are going through some sort of a restructuring process if they're given the ability to, if they have the landmass for it. Uh, Augusta's everything you see about Augusta. It's it's a very secretive operation. They're never oh, yeah. they're never giving away too much information. Nope. So um, Google Maps has been great for anyone who wants to spy and see the different development phases that they have going on. Yeah. Um, but the game is only continue to get longer and longer and longer. And whether golf clubs can adjust to that. And by golf clubs, I mean golf courses, mm. or whether physically actually golf clubs adjust to that to try to scale it back. And, you know, there there's going to be a point where enough is enough. Oh, and yeah. I, I get that. And I think we're getting pretty darn close would, to that with so. Bryce and doing what he's doing. I would hope so because the game's getting longer and longer and my game's getting shorter and shorter, darn it. <laughs> and I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> Red Hawk question, who wins the Masters this week? Uh, Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson, I like it. I like it. Mark me down. <sighs> okay, I'm just kind of going through. I think, I mean, I really like that Dustin Johnson pick, but if I was a betting man, I think I'd go with John Rahm. Okay, that's a yeah. good one too. So John sure. Rahm, Dustin Johnson. Okay. And when we record next week, we will have we'll a We'll see how recap. we did. This is a hockey podcast that got completely <laughs> derailed yeah, by so many the hockey, golf tournament. But so many hockey players play golf <laughs> and play it well, yeah, too. very true, yeah. And there's a lot of listeners on this podcast who I'm sure are, list- are going to be watching the Masters this I week. hope they are. that's what I'm going to be doing. I know, that's Sunday what I intend on doing, too. Nothing better. Nope. Nothing better than Tiger Woods walking down, you know, walking, you know, down the ferry at 18, red shirt, knowing that he's going to win. Like, last April was... Phenomenal. I, it was. It was good. It really I was. I enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is that it? That's it. That's all. All right. Okay. Well, Les, I can't thank you enough. Not a uh, problem. For inviting me back into the booth. Panky, our producer for this yes. episode. Huge shout out to him. De- Wheeling and Dealing, I haven't name dropped Panky nearly enough this episode. I'll try no. to, you know, do a little bit better job at that this We'll do week, a Panky but... name dropping episode <laughs> next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Various different ways to listen to displays on the podcast. Obviously, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and of course, cjwwradio.com. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week.